Well, good morning to all of you. Greetings in Jesus' name. It's been two years since we had a Bible school, and so this seems uh, a little fresh and exciting in many ways, um, although it seems, yeah, seems uh, it's been a while. But I trust you've come to seek the Lord, spend a week seeking the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And call upon him while he is near. I trust we can do that this week. And I just want to welcome all of you. Glad you're here. And I trust that God will meet your need this week. Will supply what you are looking for. As I was preparing for this week... I spend a good bit of time thinking back to when I sat where you sat, where you sit today. When I was uh, going, went to a Bible school, and maybe this seems a little stretch, but I think it's true that once I was young, and now I am old. But I was thinking back to the time where many of you are, life was uh, unknown, out there ahead. I wasn't married yet, you know, so there was that question, who would I get married to? Will I have children? What will that be like? And what am I going to do for my life's vocation? What kind of a church will I be a part of? And all those questions were kind of out there. And where I am today, most of those questions have been answered. And I now can look back and say, well, this is where the Lord brought me. So I was trying to put myself in your place a bit, just thinking, so what is it that these young people my sons and daughters and those of their age, what do they need? And what will keep them and put them on a course that they can keep the faith? I don't know if there's any one simple answer, but one thought that came to my mind is just the necessity of having purpose in your heart, to purpose in your heart. Uh, For example, Daniel, in his early years, and his service for the Lord, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. And I see that as, as very important, for you to have a purpose, to purpose in your heart that you will follow the Lord. As I think back in my uh, years of the people I knew back then, many of which I've lost track of, but there are a number of them that I know, some of them have made shipwreck, and that's sad. Many of them have gone on to be fruitful in the Lord's kingdom and have kept the faith, and that's always a joy to see when they keep the faith. I do recall some of the things I learned at Bible school and the direction that it gave me in my life. And I would hope and pray that this week can be likewise for you. There can be things you learn and hear this week that help cement that purpose in your heart. Paul said, we are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. And that's what I'm trusting for you this week. 
As I mentioned, Paul talked about those who made shipwreck. And Paul could use that word advisedly because he had experienced what it was to have shipwreck. And generally there's much destruction and oftentimes loss of life when there is shipwreck. And of course you may recall the story there of of Paul in that one event where it was uh, detailed that they were tossed about on this storm and there was such a difficult time that it says in that account it simply says that at a certain point all hope that they would be saved was then taken away that would be a pretty bad place to be wouldn't it but God intervened and they were all saved they all made it safely to the shore now I haven't been on the oceans very much but I have been on a few small boats and when I think of shipwreck my mind goes to an occasion many years ago when I was on the coast of Oregon at Depot Bay that is said to be the world's smallest harbor and we were there one day with a number of us it was about a dozen of us or so from our workplace uh, we're going on a charter fishing boat which they have there and it's probably small in when you think of ships but it's a little more than just a small rowboat this ship was probably had capacity for 25 or 30 people and I don't recall a whole lot going out of that small harbor it didn't seem that uh, difficult or treacherous but coming back was a different story suddenly the boat seemed fairly wide to fit through this narrow space and it's billed as the world's smallest harbor so the the entrance into the harbor is only about 50 feet wide and when you have a ship that's 20 25 feet wide and the waves are kind of tossing this way and that and suddenly it it sort of just struck you how fragile this uh, transit of the of the passageway might be because the rocks straight wall on either side and and the passage makes a little jog in it so it's not just you don't just cruise in there and slide into the harbor but the captain he came up there and he pulled the throttle way back and I couldn't quite understand what was going on but we just kind of rocked there a bit and then all at once he pushed the throttle forward and the ship surged through just fine and we entered safely and I realized this captain has done this a number of times and he waited for the appropriate time and he put on a surge of power and we entered the harbor well I think of you today don't make shipwreck and in a sense you have some rocks on either side the harbor is narrow and it's not just smooth sailing just to casually slide in there but you might need to take some thought and give some attention to your purpose your direction in life and some time when you need to apply some effort at the right moment to make your safe landing so this morning for a lesson I would like for you to turn with me to the book of Joel one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament so the book is very small but I would like to read from Joel chapter 2 and verse 28 
In Joel chapter 2, verse 28, we have the prophet here speaking the word of the Lord, and he gives him a promise. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass... That whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Now I'd like for you to turn to the book of Acts in chapter 2. And in this chapter, we have the account of the Spirit being poured out upon the New Testament church. And so we'll read here in chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then it goes on to detail some of what took place there and describe who these people were and where they came from. And let's drop down to verse uh, 13. It says, Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you. By miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. We'll stop reading there. But Peter continued preaching unto them Jesus. I'd like to take our minds back to this promise 
that was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And Peter told them here that this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now I'd like to ask you the question this morning. Does this promise apply to you? You sit here. You are sons and daughters. And I trust many of you, being born again, have received of the Spirit of God. Do you prophesy? Do you have visions? It says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That's what we want to talk about this morning. What does this passage mean? Does it apply to you today? And how does it apply? I know... Often in my years, as I'd read over this, I would read the part there about the signs and wonders in heaven, in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. And well, that speaks of the end of time, you know, before the Lord comes. Jesus said those words. He said that would come to pass in the last days. And here it says that um, in quoting, Peter said it shall come to pass in the last days. And so there is sort of in our mind this thought, well, that must be toward the end of time. You know, just before the Lord comes, perhaps then he will pour out his spirit. And at that time, Young men will begin to prophesy, and daughters begin to prophesy. And perhaps it's not quite yet. But then we look at this passage and say, well, but Peter did say that uh, this is that which was spoken of by the prophets. So uh, the question comes to us again, does this apply to us today as you sit here? Does the pouring out of the Holy Spirit cause you to prophesy, to have visions? I'd like to go through this account and look at a number of other scriptures and explore a bit this tremendous promise. That in the last days, God would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. That includes you. You sit here today, and this verse, these verses apply to you. Now let's turn over to, toward the end of the chapter, after Peter gets done with his message... Let's read verse 38 and 39. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Wow, that was an amazing promise. 
As we look at this account here, we find that God did something tremendous here. And he had foretold it by the prophet Joel. He said that in the last days I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Now in Joel, as we read it there, it says it shall come to pass at that time. But here Peter says that it's in the last days. Verse 17. It shall come to pass in the last days. Now there are several ways we can understand last days. But in the Old Testament, and in some cases in the New Testament, when that term is used, it has the reference to the time of the Messiah. That's how some of them would have understood it in the Old Testament. He's referring to the time of the Messiah. And the Messiah had come indeed. And Peter, I believe, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knew very well that this scripture was being fulfilled in his day. And he said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet. And in the last days, we find the reference to that in the book of Hebrews, where it tells us that God, at sundry times and in diverse manners, spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. Hath in these last days, these last days, spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. In these last days he's spoken unto us by his son. So the expression there, in the last days, can refer to all the times of Christ, the Messiah. And the amazing thing was that in times past, God spoke by prophets. And those prophets would receive a revelation, a word from the Lord. Thus saith the Lord... Say unto the people, and those types of things. And the Spirit of God would come upon that prophet, and he would tell the people the things that God wanted them to know. He warned them of judgment to come. He would warn them of the error of their way. He would exhort them to turn unto the Lord. He would describe unto them what God was like. They were given special revelations, visions, yes, even of heaven and of God and of things to come. They were given those visions, but their primary task was to take God's word and give it to the people. God spoke to them through the prophets. The prophets received the Holy Ghost upon them, inspiring them, To give this word to the people. And then here you have Joel looking forward and giving this precious promise that he says, In the last days I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. All flesh. Not just the prophets, but your very sons and daughters will be able to prophesy and to have visions. Your old men shall dream dreams, and they would have the Holy Spirit poured out, as he says, upon my handmaidens. I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. It was going to be different than it was in the Old Testament, where just the prophets received the word of the Lord, and then they would Tell it to the people. Even the kings, at times when they did not understand what God's will was, they would call for the prophet because he was the one who received the word of the Lord. And now, in these days, God wants to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And this was that promise. So what happened here at the day of Pentecost? We know from the prior 
chapter that in this upper room where they had gathered and were praying and seeking the Lord, they were following the instructions of Christ who when he ascended, he said to them that they should tarry at Jerusalem until the promise would come. And so on the day of Pentecost, they were all with one accord in one place. It tells us the number was 120. There were the disciples of the Lord, the apostles, and other disciples. Although it doesn't say it specifically, I don't believe, in the previous chapter, but we could assume that many at least, maybe all of the 70 that Jesus had sent forth during his ministry was probably there. But it also says that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there besides other women. So there were men and women together there, 120. And the Holy Spirit came upon them. It says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. And this was the Spirit being poured out upon the church. Now, they began to speak, it says, so what did they say? Oftentimes our focus is on the tremendous miracle that they were able to speak with other tongues. And they, uh, the people who heard said, this is, I mean, they were astounded. We hear every man in our own tongue in which, wherein we were born. How is it that we hear these Galileans speaking in our language? Okay, so that was a tremendous miracle, amazing. It startled the people, but again, I ask you, what were they actually saying? See, the tongues was only a means to an end. It was not the end purpose. It was simply a means to get there, but what were they saying? Well, it tells us what the subject was. It doesn't really describe exactly what they said, but here in verse 11... If you have your Bibles open there in Acts chapter 2, verse 11. It says, We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Now this wonderful works in other places is translated miracles. These are the things they were talking about. And the amazing thing, I believe, that was central in their speaking was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what went before, and Christ was received up into glory. That had happened just, what was it, ten days prior? And the promise had been that the Holy Spirit would be poured out. Jesus had specifically promised that, and here it was. The Holy Spirit was poured out, gave them utterance, gave them tongues to speak in every man's language. And what they were saying was about the marvelous, amazing things of God. The resurrection, the promise being poured out, perhaps talking about his ascension. I get the impression that all of the 120 were talking. Now, they weren't all standing up and preaching. But they were all occupied talking about the marvelous things of God. The wonderful works of God. The amazing thing that God was doing. And this was according to the promise. I'd like to note further what actually took place then. As you know, after some space of time, when they were talking about these marvelous things, it says, Then Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and he began to proclaim, like he gathered their attention and he was the one now who was speaking forth in perhaps the manner that you would think of me this morning. I'm standing in front and I am proclaiming the message 
and all attention is given to this one speaker, where prior to this, perhaps there was just a lot of conversation going on, but they were all hearing this message, the marvelous things of God. And so, Peter standing up, he tells them this is the promise that was given. And then he preached unto them Jesus. And he proclaimed to them, and I believe by the inspiration of God, very specifically it's telling us that that he was preaching by that inspiration. And as you go through this, you find him quoting Old Testament scriptures and applying them to this this time, the promise of the Christ, and how that applies to them, and that they should believe what the prophets said regarding Christ And that this Christ has been exalted, verse 33, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. And then it tells us this in verse 37. Now when they heard this, They were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So if we look at what happened here, all those that were filled with the Holy Ghost were speaking about the marvelous things of God. That's what they talked about. It pricked the people in their heart when Peter got up and continued on that same theme, talking about Christ. He exhorted them and to such an extent that they began to see their own sin and their, their undoneness and their need to believe on this Lord Jesus Christ. And they said, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then... He exhorted with many other words. And among those, he exhorted them to save themselves from this untoward generation. That was by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Are you beginning to see what it means to be filled with the Holy Ghost And to begin to speak the marvelous words of God. Yes, God does have prophets that stand in the pulpit and preach and proclaim the word. But the promise was that upon all flesh the spirit would be poured. And the sons and the daughters would begin to prophesy. And that prophesying has to do with speaking the marvelous things of God, to proclaim, to exhort, to even reprove, or to call them to repentance. Save yourselves from this untoward generation. That is a message inspired by the Holy Ghost, and it's available to all of us, men, women, Young and old. There is neither Greek nor Jew. Circumcision nor uncircumcision. Bond nor free. 
But all are one in Christ. It's available to all. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon all flesh. Now as we think about the difference in what it had been prior and what God was doing here, let's go back and look at what the Old Testament prophets, several of them, let's begin with Isaiah, and I'd like for you to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to look at three of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And we'll only be able to cover a bit of it. But in Isaiah chapter 6, we have Isaiah. Telling us of his experience, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so on. And then it says in verse um, 6, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, This hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. And so on. A few things I'd like to draw from Isaiah's example here. He had a vision of God. And you may say, as I'm as I'm preaching here, you might think, well, I don't know that I ever had a vision like that. I never saw God like Isaiah did. But you know, and we'll get to this a bit later, in the New Testament era, when the Holy Spirit is poured out and He will guide us into all truth, there is a revelation, a revelation of Jesus Christ that is available to us that was not available to the average person in the Old Testament. It was limited to the prophets, and they would then explain. The common people didn't see these kind of things. And then it says, we have the uh, account here of the seraphim bringing a live coal, said he laid it upon my mouth. This hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Now, For us to have the Holy Spirit poured out upon us, there needs to be a repentance, a turning from sin. And it says, as Peter said there, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And this very picture here is that before Isaiah went forth, his sin and iniquity needed to be purged. I believe God was giving us a bit of a picture here. And when that happened, he said, The Lord asked, Whom shall I send? And that question perhaps comes to us today. God is asking, Who's who's going to go? Who's going to speak the marvelous works of God? Who's going to tell? And then Isaiah responded by saying, here am I, 
send me. He was then ready for service. Let's look at the next example of Jeremiah. Chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1, The words of Jeremiah the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Then came the word the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. And there's much more we could read here, but this basic point here is that Jeremiah, he was ordained of God. The Spirit came upon him. God had specifically chosen him. And ordained him to be speaking to the nations the words of God. But he told him very clearly when he expressed his inability and said, I can't speak. The Lord said, don't say that. Just understand. You go to those whom I send you. And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. I will put my words in thy mouth. Paul said the same thing. When he talked about going out and preaching, he said, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus and him crucified. It's not our words. It's what was given to us. The Holy Spirit puts into our mouth the words that we should say. And so we preach not ourselves, but Christ. So it is in the New Testament. Not just for the prophets of old, but in the New Testament, we speak the words of God to others. Let's go to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 2. Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 1. And he said unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. And the Spirit entered into me when he spake unto me, and set me upon my feet, and I heard him that spake unto me. And he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me even unto this day. For they are impudent children and stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them, 
And thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. And they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house, ye shall know, yet shall know that there hath been a prophet among them. And thou, son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns be with thee, and thou dost dwell among scorpions, be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. And thou shalt speak my words unto them, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are most rebellious. But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee, Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat what I give thee. And when I looked, behold, an hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein. And he spread it before me, and it was written within and without, and there was written within lamentations and mourning and woe. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest, eat this roll, and go speak unto the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. And he said unto me, Son of man, go get thee unto the house of Israel, and speak with my words unto them. We'll stop reading there. Now here, Ezekiel had a strange experience that was to illustrate something. He found a roll... We saw this roll in the hand there. And in this roll, it says it was written within and without, and there was written therein lamentations and mourning and woe. It sounds like a fairly sorrowful and difficult message. But then he was instructed to eat it. So he opened his mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll, and he said, Son of man eat this roll, and he did, and he said, it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. Now, how could this roll that had all these difficult things, the woe, what does it say, woe, lamentations and mourning and woe, how how was that sweet in his mouth? But it was. It was as honey for sweetness. And then, after he had consumed this roll, he got this instruction, go and speak to the house of Israel and speak with my words unto them. So he had internalized these words. He had taken them in, eaten them as instructed, and now he was to go forth and speak. These words, and it seems the picture here is that the words that, he, that were inscribed in this, he, he took them in, and then this was a representation of what he was to speak out. Now, in the New Testament era, when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon us, God gives us words, and we are expected to internalize it. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. And so here in this example, Ezekiel consumed these words. He was the partaker. He first partook, and then he was able to speak. And so he was the messenger of God. Now let's turn back to the New Testament in our text here in Acts chapter 2.
here we have the New Testament fulfillment of that prophecy by Joel. That in the last days God would pour out of his spirit upon all flesh. And there was a lot of symbolism here that God employed in this event where the Holy Spirit was poured out. For example, it says that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, and if you study that, you'll find that the day of Pentecost was the day of the offering of the first fruits. This was not by accident, but by the first fruits of the New Testament church, it came on the day of Pentecost, the very day when they were representing the ingathering of the harvest with the first fruits. And so here were the first fruits of the New Testament church. And God poured out his spirit upon all flesh. And we have here in Jerusalem were gathered men from everywhere. It says that there were Parthians and Medes and Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia. I think there was about 19 places listed. And they came from all over. And here when the spirit was poured out. By the divine miracle of God, these disciples were given utterance to speak in all these languages. And it was actually a very uh, dramatic picture of the fact that God was going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Not just those that spoke Hebrew, but those that spoke in all these other languages as well. All across the globe, in every language, God was going to pour out his spirit. And the Gentiles would be brought in and made fellow heirs with the kingdom, with the, with the Jews. And he would make of one, these various groups, he would gather them together in one body. And this was represented by the fact that all these different languages were being spoken on the very day that the Holy Spirit was poured out. And the first fruits were brought into the kingdom. And so here they were speaking in these other tongues. But remember, the tongues was just a means to an end. And the end and the, the reality of what God wanted here was for them to speak forth the marvelous things of God. The amazing things that God was doing in the resurrection of Christ. And in that resurrection, we have a new life. We are crucified with him and we're raised again to a new life we are born again by this spirit of God we we have then the promise received of the father that that the Holy Spirit would dwell within us and the marvelous things of God were spoken of over and over and over And then Peter gets up and he preaches and he looks at the Old Testament prophets and he quotes the scriptures. He explains to them what it means that this is the fulfillment. And when he got all done, they were smitten in their hearts. There was conviction there. There was the power of the Holy Spirit now taking that to the hearts of the hearers and convincing them of their sin. And and they were like, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, and you will receive this same promise. And with many other words, he did testify, testify. These are the things that we have seen and heard. John said that in his epistle. He said, we... We speak the things that we have heard. This is what we have experienced. Our hands have handled of the word of life. And so Peter likewise here testified and exhorted. He encouraged them. He didn't just say, well, you know, if you like the message, let's go with it. No, he exhorted them to turn to righteousness. Save yourselves. From this untoward generation. So that was what was happening there on the day of Pentecost. 
when the Holy Spirit was poured out. I'd like for you to turn uh, just back to the Gospel of John, chapter 16. And let's hear the words of Jesus as he explained to his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 7 and following. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go unto my Father, and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. So here is Jesus describing what it would be like when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will reprove the world of sin. And of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Now as we went through that account in Acts chapter 2, do you see how all of this came to pass just like Jesus said? On that day of Pentecost, Peter was preaching. He was reproving the world of sin. He was talking to them of righteousness. And he spoke of them of judgment to come. And when the Holy Spirit is poured upon you, upon the sons and daughters... They will do what the Holy Spirit was sent to do. Reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And you may ask about the judgment. Well, if you think of the promise there, it talks about wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. And we may have a tendency when we read that to think, well, this whole promise must be somewhere down the line in that future time. No, I think it was just simply put in here to represent the whole of that time and to remind them that this day is coming. This great and terrible day of the Lord will come. And for that reason, men ought to prepare. They ought to get themselves ready and not be caught unawares. And so, it is for the whole New Testament era that the Holy Spirit is poured out. And when he is, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So again, I ask you, is it not plain that this should be within reach of all? That the Holy Spirit poured out upon you, the daughters, the sons. You can speak the marvelous things of God. In fact, God says through uh, the Apostle Paul that we then are ambassadors for Christ. And in Christ's 
Christ's place or Christ's stead, we beseech you, be ye reconciled to God. That's part of the marvelous, amazing things that God has provided for us is that we can be reconciled to God. And you having taken this role, as Isaiah did, you've already internalized, you have become first partaker of the fruits, and you are able to share with someone else and say, this is how to be reconciled with God. And the Holy Spirit attends that and takes it to the heart of the hearer, and they perhaps would be converted and helped to righteousness. You can persuade them of judgment to come. You can persuade them that we ought to lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before us. The Holy Spirit comes as a comforter with those kind of words. You might say, well, okay, I haven't, uh, I haven't had a revelation or an experience like Ezekiel did about the heavens and, um, uh, or like Isaiah did. Uh, do, do I need something like that? Well, let me suggest to you that we have something that the Old Testament prophets did not. We have the revelation of Jesus Christ. Does God speak to us and tell us that we should go and speak to others? Well, yes, he does. When we read John chapter 16, God speaks to us. And this is the message that we can proclaim. This is the promise. We can read Ephesians chapter 1 and God speaks to us. We can read any place else. We can read 2 Timothy chapter 2. We can read Revelation chapter 1. God speaks to us. And we can proclaim the marvelous, amazing works of God. That you can be reconciled to God. You can prepare for the world to come. You can be encouraged in your trials. Read 1 Peter. You can be comforted by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted. We, we, have, we have this. It's poured out upon us. Those who have been born again by the Spirit of God now have that promise that God puts words in your mouth and you go and speak. God puts words in your mouth. You become daughters that prophesy. You don't have to wait for some vision of the heavens. It's not limited to just foretelling of future events. In the New Testament, that word prophecy is repeatedly used to speak about just proclaiming the word of God. Paul, speaking to the Corinthians, he said that those who prophesy speak unto edification and to exhortation. And that's... God's intent for daughters and sons to prophesy, to speak God's word. This is not just pushed off to some far distant time. God wants to pour out his spirit upon you. And this promise is to us and to our children and to those that are afar off. And I'm not sure exactly what that afar off means, but I think that's probably me and you. We were pretty far distant from the time when this was spoken. And he was looking down through time and saying, this promise is for us. Oh, that God would make all of us sons and daughters who prophesy. Prophesy. Speaking forth the mind and will of God. Having taken it in ourselves. And then being equipped to be able to go out and speak. May God bless you with that.